morning, good morning, everybody. Happy hectic Saturday. <laughs> it has been a sat, as what you say in the country, it's a Saturday that has been, <laughs> ooh, that type of smoke coming out the top of your head emoji Saturday. But good morning, everybody. I'm sports family therapist, licensed marriage and family therapist, and host of House Talk Pregame. How y'all doing this morning? Y'all know who that crazy guy is? He my Santa Claus. I got my personal Santa Claus of the colors. <laughs> morning, morning, morning. I'm Ronnie Ransom, former student athlete, current professional counselor in Virginia. And welcome back to House Talk Pregame, episode 123. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. We have a very special guest lineup for you all today. This is going to be a very special episode. Um, probably going to be one of my personal favorites that we've done uh, this season. We have um, Assistant Director of Human Performance for uh, Football at Texas Christian University, Mr. Tyro Brown. Good morning, sir. How are you? Morning, morning. I'm good. I'm good. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Show. Yes, sir, man. We're honored to have you on today, man. We've been look, super looking forward to this conversation for the last few months now, ever since we first connected with you, man. So we got a lot of uh, things to talk about today, a lot of things to cover, um, a lot of uh, questions that I've gotten from people uh, as, you know, high school uh, athletes, college athletes and everything. So really looking forward to the conversation, man, and really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us this morning, man. Um, so before we get started into that, everything, um, just wanted to go over a couple things real quick, Dr. Pitts. Um, just some uh, news around the uh, the sports world this week. Uh, first and foremost, though, on a, on a somber note, uh, definitely want to send our condolences and prayers to the family of Shaq Barrett. Um, this past Sunday, um, his two-year-old daughter unfortunately uh, lost her life. She drowned in their family pool at their home in Tampa. Um, super unfortunate, super tragic, and just just heart ripping. And so we want to send our prayers and condolences to Shaq Barrett and his family, um, praying that, you know, that God touches them, you know, blesses his family and everything and really helps them pull through this tough time and everything. Um, I couldn't even fathom that. Um, so definitely want to send a shout out to him and his family. Um, and as far as some HBCU news, so we all know last weekend we had the NFL draft, the 2023 NFL draft. Um, and real quick, Tyrell, shout out to uh, the TCU Horn Frogs for having uh, eight draft picks, including a first round, second round, I think four, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and also three additional uh, athletes being uh, undrafted free agents. Um, so shout out to them being signed and everything. Uh, you all actually tied a record with your 1957 squad, I saw. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, I also saw back in 1957, they had 30 rounds in the draft, um, yep. which is which is wild. Um, I might have had a chance back then. I might have got picked up in like the 23rd, 24th. Everybody. I might have had a chance. Everybody had a chance. Thank everybody. If you just entered the draft, there's like, we'll take you. Um, <laughs> so shout out to y'all for that, man. That's a huge testament to the coaching staff and the human performance staff for preparing those players throughout the season. Um, some notable HBCU players who um, were picked up in the draft. So uh, in 2022, we had four HBCU players drafted. This year we had one. Um, Isaiah Bolden was uh, drafted in the seventh round with the 245th pick by the New England Patriots. So shout out to Mr. Bolden. Um, some other notable signees who were picked up by NFL teams. Uh, we had Aubrey Miller, linebacker from Jackson State, was picked up by the Miami Dolphins. Um, Isaiah Land, the uh, defensive end from uh, FAMU, was picked up by the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and I'm pretty sure he could, you know, it's, it's, Ronnie, it's you don't it's, think that it's a coincidence that, that from an HBCU perspective, that I'm a FAMU fan and that we got him. I, I, I call that's the that first, that's the first thing I saw. I was like, of course, 
I was like, of course he was. I was like, Dr. Piss has some influence on this one. Yeah, man. I, was like, I, I put all my energy on it. Now just needing to perform. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, we got Shaq Davis of South Carolina State was picked up by the New Orleans Saints. We got Andrew Farmer of uh, Lane College was picked up by the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Mark Evans of uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff was picked up by the Saints. We have uh, Dallas Daniels of uh, Jackson State was picked up by the Broncos. Um, Dijon Warner from Jackson State was picked up by the Chicago Bears. Uh, Darius Hagens of Virginia State University was picked up by the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Joshua Pryor was picked up by the uh, Washington Commanders of Bowie State. Emmanuel Wilson of Fort Valley State was picked up by the Broncos. Uh, Claudine Cherilis, um from uh, Alcorn State was picked up by the New York Jets. And uh, Cameron Peterson was picked up by the uh, Baltimore Ravens. So shout out to all the HBU, HBCU players who will get the opportunity to showcase their talents on the NFL stage at mini camp and hopefully training camp come July. Um, and once again, Tyrell, shout out to TCU for the players. Um, you also get to showcase their talents for NFL squads and mini camp and also training camp as well, man. Um, so Dr. Fitz, before we get started, do you have any uh, news or uh, anything you want to share before we get started? I don't have any news, but I did decide that I want to do a mental health tip. Um, obviously, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I was sharing with my husband yesterday that I had this aha moment um, in doing the work that we do day in and day out. And I, I think I've shared over the past couple of weeks that currently my caseload is couples heavy. And, and I'm not even going to lie to y'all. Some of them folks get on my nerves. <laughs> they get on my last nerve. And I, and I say that with the utmost professionalism. They know they get on my nerves because I tell them. That's because that's the type of thing. I'm a human therapist. And I'm like, you know what? Y'all get on my nerves right now. And I, and I tell them straight up. But what I came to realize, and, and I'm tying this into our topic today as it relates to this word journey. So when we think about mental health and our relationship journeys, the revelation that I came to is we have our relationships, and I'll speak within the context right now of our intimate relationships, whether it be a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, um, a spouse, a fiance, whatever the case may be. And we're human, right? So we're we're not always going to see eye to eye on everything. And I, I tell you what, I'm so sick and tired of hearing the word argue, I could scream. It's like everybody's arguing, everybody, well, we fought, we argued, you know, that's a choice, right? You don't have to argue, fuss and fight. But okay, that's where you are right now with problem solving and conflict resolution. But this is what I want to say to the regarding the relationship journey. If people could learn to stop blaming, scapegoating, and harboring resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness, and instead look at how they're showing up in the relationship within the context of who they say they are authentically, how they say they desire to behave and represent themselves authentically, and how they authentically convey that they want to navigate this thing called life. And then look at how you're behaving and expressing yourself within your intimate relationship. If that behavior does not align with who you say you are authentically, how you say you want to represent yourself, your family name, how you say you want to navigate this thing called life, then there's room for self-work there. 
there's room for growth and development and maturity and the embrace of more relationship um, intelligence, if you will. And so oftentimes people default to, well, you said, you did, you, 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 and they're not taking responsibility and accountability for the reflection in the mirror. Our human nature, I would suffice it to say that it's safe to say more times than not, attracts us to people that are some form of reflection of ourselves. It might not be an exact replication of yourself, but I said to a couple yesterday that I was working with, now you know what it's like to be in relationship with you. And they're like, and I said, you all just disclosed virtually the identical information to me about your individual relationship with yourself, but you didn't hear each other. You don't even realize because you're so busy pointing the finger at each other that the very parts of your partner that you dislike are the same characteristics that you yourself possess and demonstrate on a daily basis. So in essence, do you really dislike your partner or do you dislike you? Sounds to me like you dislike you. So I say this, if you give yourself permission to pause, take a step back, and look at the reflection in the mirror and you realize that how you express yourself and how you behave on a day-to-day -day basis is not truly representative of who you say you are authentically, you have work to do. I'm accepting new clients. That's all I have to say. That's a hell of a, that was a hell of a pitch to get new clients. I'm John Day. Gotta do I, what like you I like that. I like that. That was a hell of a pitch right there. I like that. I like that. Well, thank you for sharing that mental health tip of the week, Dr. Pitts. Um, I think when we talk about, you know, projection of insecurities and projection of um, fears and concerns, you know, how we place that on other people, I think a lot of times we don't always observe that or see that, you know, especially when, you know, sometimes we view things from a hurt mindset too, you know, and, and to your point, hurt people hurt people. And when Welcome you are stuck in when you when you're stuck in that constant cycle of hurt and thinking that you know hurting people are going to unhurt you you it's kind of hard to really step away until you make that decision to be like you know what maybe this is about me just as much as i think it's about the other person too so thank you for sharing that and and like dr pitt said you know our topic for today is the athletic journey um and what that means you know how how can athletes you know really set off on that athletic journey physically and mentally what are some of the steps they need to know along the way? What are some things they should look out for? And what are the best things they can do to put themselves in the best position to really maximize their athletic journey? Um, which is why we brought uh, Mr. Tyrell Brown in today um, because his athletic journey, his story uh, embodies and emboldens that very topic right there. Um, and just to let the people know who uh, Mr. Brown is, so Mr. Brown resides from, uh, well, originally from Topeka, Kansas, where he went to, uh, Topeka West High, where he was a quarterback and receiver, and I think a little bit of running back too. I think they should have just put <laughs> athlete by your name, Basically. man, because I see you played everything, man. Um, <laughs> and from Topeka West, and I think the most important thing out of that entire um, bio that I read about you, man, the most important thing I saw was as much as you were a standout athlete in your area, the uh, thing that really stuck out to me was you was a four-time honor roll member, which really emboldens what we mean to be a student athlete. So shout out to you for that, man, because I think a lot of times people think that, well, if I'm just, you know, Deion Sanders or Lamar Jackson or something like that, my talent will get me all the way. There's a reason a student comes before athlete when we talk about student athletes. Um, from there, Mr. Brown went on to Washburn University where he played quarterback, 
and wide receiver, um, was a part of the, it's the MIAA conference, um, right? Yes, sir, which I think is the absolute hardest D2 conference um, in all of D2 football. Um, had a playing career there. Um, and then after, upon graduating, you had the chance to um, um, work up among the uh, strength and conditioning staff at Washburn before moving on to Troy University as a graduate assistant. And then from Troy, you went on to Middle Tennessee State University for three seasons as um, one of the assistant athletic director, I mean, not athletic directors, assistant strength coaches for tennis, women's sports, and also helping out with football. And then as of last season, um, moving over to TCU, um, and one of the things I saw was TCU basically brought in a whole brand new staff, brand new head coach, OC, DC, uh, other coach, position coaches, and a brand new strength and conditioning staff, well, human performance staff, as it's called at TCU, man. Um, and you all had a phenomenal season, a phenomenal first season. Um, you all went 13 and two, the national runners ups. And a part of that, you all had three All-Americans. Um, you had 22 all-conference members, which is phenomenal. Um, uh, also, you had the coach of the year and uh, coach Sonny Dykes and everything. So, man, Tyrell, welcome to House Talk Pre-Grand, man. Um, how you doing today, man? Thank you guys for having me. I'm great. Uh, I can't complain at all. It's, it's a beautiful Saturday and sure, I get to talk to you guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm living the dream right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, well, my first question, man, as we get started, man, is, you know, I kind of summarize, you know, just the, the, the highlights of your athletic career and journey, man, but really just kind of tell us, you know, what what led you to sports? You know, what other sports did you play? And, you know, how did you get to where you're at today as being part of the uh, human performance staff for football at TCU, man? Um, Quick rundown. Uh, in high school, I played football and basketball were my main sports. My junior high school, I ran track just for one year, just a quick year. Uh, <laughs> And then um, from graduating high school, going to Washburn, Washburn was a good time. Like I, I enjoyed it. I grew up a lot while I was there. Um, my head coach, he pushed me a lot. Craig Shurik, he he's a great, great man. Um, <clears throat> going into just football wise, like making the transition from quarterback to receiver, that was a little bit different for me. Um, just the because I played quarterback majority of my life and then moving to receiver, it's like you can just be an athlete and be able to do the things that you want to do as far as like just move around in space and just kind of have a little bit of fun with that. So I enjoyed that. But the biggest thing for me is that I dealt with a lot of injuries. And so with those injuries, I, I had tore my ACL twice. And so that kind of set me back a good amount of times. Um, back-to-back -back years I had torn my ACL so with that like I had to truly think of different outlets after football um like what am I going to do after football because this might not work out just because of my injury history like a lot of NFL scouts and a lot of GMs they don't really take too kind of like a huge long injury history especially if it's a catastrophic injury like two torn ACL so with that being said, like I always loved being around football or sports in general. And so I wanted to stay around that. So I was in exercise physiology was my major. Um, and going with that kind of as I was injured, you started exercise science club. I need to keep keep busy and do some things because I figured out that being a regular student, that was boring to me. And that was super, super boring. I was like, I need to fill my time up just like it was with football. And so started the HI Science Club, was the president of that. And then that is when I met uh, Dr. Boyd Epley. He's considered the godfather of strength and conditioning in my field. And so I met him um, at a Nebraska alumni 
kind of clinic, my vice president, she ended up, she knew him and was connected with him. So she's like, do you want to go to this? Like, you might be interested. And I was like, sure. And then talked to him a little bit, chatted. I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to stay around sports. I, I love training myself. So I was like, hey, let's do that. Um, after graduating, um, since I didn't have the senior year that I thought I would, um, ended up interning at the University of Kansas for a year and a half and then ended up getting back to Washburn, which that, that was kind of good because, and it's funny because everybody, before I left, they're like, you, ju you just don't want to leave this place, do you? And then, so I come back as an assistant and they're like, you really don't want to leave this place at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was just like, no, like I, I got to get out of here. Um, and so I ended up having that opportunity at Troy. And that was probably the first time that I ever moved out of the state of Kansas. And that that was big for me because that, that was when I actually started traveling and doing a little bit, seeing the United States first. Um, and and it was good for me. Um, and at, while I was at Troy, I ended up meeting Coach Kaz Kazadi. Um, I knew about him, heard of him beforehand and everything like that. And when I was at Troy, met him, had a great conversation with him and stayed connected with him. Uh, ended up moving to Middle Tennessee. And then um, that connection with sticking with Coach Cause, because growing up, I always loved watching his presentations and how he can captivate a room and just captivate an audience and just hold you with every word that he's saying. And so I always thought, I was like, man, it'd be great just to just to meet him learn under them, everything like that. And just so happens in the year 2022, I get to work with him. And I tell you, me working with him, that was like drinking water from a fire hose. Like it was different when I got here, but but it was a good difference because it, it definitely made me grow. They threw me into the fire. I didn't have a level group or anything to coach at first. So I kind of had to find my niche and find my way. And just with that, just with him slowly grooming me and throwing me in here and there and then allowing the players to hear my voice every now and then, like it definitely helped me grow. And he, he gave me a lot of autonomy to be able to do the things that I can, because with me being injured in college, um, my biggest thing is I had to do a lot of research for myself in order to figure out a way to help myself move a little bit better move better, feel better, be more proficient at the different things that I was doing with playing in space. And so that has helped me into my career. Now my experience has definitely got me to where I am and be able to do the things that I can now. That's dope, man. That's dope. such a dope story. I did want to ask you, because me and you kind of have some similarities when it uh, comes to injuries in uh, college football. Um, my final two seasons, I played through uh, two torn meniscuses in both knees. Um, and, and I've shared on the um, on the podcast on several occasions how um, either before the game or at halftime of each game, my last two seasons, I was getting a lighted cane shot in both knees yep. just to, you know, get through the game or get through the half and everything. Um, had the surgeries in the offseason and whatnot and, you know, really put my body on the line for the team and everything. What were how did going through those injuries, you know, redshirting your freshman year, then um, playing, having a little bit of playing time, and then having those back-to-back -back ACL tears, and then coming back for your final season. Kind of talk to us a little bit about that, just that mental health journey you had along the way of, you know, having to switch positions from going to quarterback to receiving, mm -hmm. all the things that you experienced in your college career. It was rough. I will not lie to you about that. Like, that was probably one of the roughest things, like, times in my life, just because of whether it be family, um situations that were kind of going around because my cousin um right when I turned 21 um in 2013 he was killed in a double homicide suicide kind of situation and so like that kind of 
messed me up a little bit there. And like, that was kind of like the start of like my injuries. I messed up my ankle like during that year and then going into everything else for my ACL and everything. So it was just kind of that 2013 year was a little bit of a struggle, but going into that 14, that was when I tore my ACL and then, okay, shoot, we got, we got a year to recover, a year and a half or so. It's like, all right, we'll, we'll be good. And then like coming back, uh, I had to have another surgery to clean out my knee a little bit because I had some problems going on. So that was like towards the end of that year and then 15 retour. And then so I was like, man, can't catch a break. But mentally, like going from position to position in the injuries, it was just rough just because like um, you're in college in a sense by yourself. I mean, I am in my hometown, but like I was pretty much by myself living on my own at that time a little bit as well. Um, and it was just trying to figure out ways on how to deal with the situations that I was going through. Cause like, you don't really ever have to deal with a lot of things in maybe middle school, high school, growing up, just because you got your parents there. Right. Uh, and so like for my mom, like she, she's my rock and everything. Cause it was just me and her for the longest time. Um, I had to talk to her a lot because just mentally, I was just going through some things and I couldn't figure out what I was going through. And I would honestly say that I probably went through a little bit of depression and I, I just didn't know what it was. I had right. no idea. It's like, I don't know this feeling because I've never really had to feel this before. I've never let myself deal with it. And then living by myself, that's when you have time to think. And right. when you have time to think and, and just be in your own head, that's probably one of the most scariest places if you've never had to right. do it before and I never had and I always had somebody around like little brothers or something like that just running around and like I can talk to somebody kind of thing but being by yourself at night man you, you got to think about those things and you got to look yourself in the mirror and be like okay where do we go from here um and so with that like I just had to keep myself busy a little bit and I, I prayed a lot that, that was that helped me a ton going to church helped me a ton my, my family they'll they'll attest to that that uh, that was the times that I popped in church the most because I, I needed it. Um, I needed I needed that God's favor and just to be able to try and get my mind and everything correct. And, and it's it's tough to say because not a lot of people can, I would say, understand what they're going through and and try to process it like not a lot of people want to process what they're going through he's like oh depression will never happen to me like th this is not anything that I deal with it's like no like some people do deal with that type of depression like you just have to be able to be able to kind of get through that and and have somebody there to talk to and everything like that just to be able to get through and my mom was the main person because she knew everything that's like my best friend and so like I I really attest to everything that I got through is from her. Like the, her strength helped me a ton throughout those times. So dope, so dope, yeah. Ronnie, can I, can I jump in? Absolutely, go ahead. So Tyrell, first and foremost, so, so sorry for the, the traumatic experience that, that you had to go through. Um, and that, that I started taking notes as, as soon as you said that, because so oftentimes what I see, um, in my client base period, but you said some key things as it relates to the athletic journey, as it relates to grief and loss. And it's almost like I heard you in my head speaking universally, 
for so many athletes because you all, you know, you have this resilience and this tenacity to stay tough and be strong and, and you've got to balance life and athletics and what have you. But you, the key word that you said is process, right? And so oftentimes athletes don't understand the importance of that process and knowing that the keeping busy, as you said, and, and the different ways that you described it, all of those are, are critical interventions that we recommend and because they represent the support system, right? You, you have to have a support system because that isolation piece that you mentioned is so incredibly dangerous because right. the mind it, it will get you, right? That's why it's called mental illness. What I wanted to, to add to that as it relates to the process is that working with someone like Ronnie, like Dr. Pitts, like any other type of mental health practitioner outside of the athletic arena can be extremely beneficial to helping to navigate that process more effectively because you do need to be able to unpack it. I've mentioned previously on the show, I take my clients through a process that I call the chain breaking activity. And what that chain breaking activity does is it has them to pinpoint a specific current or historical pain evoking or fear evoking experience that they've had. And they have to be able to identify the fears that have come up as a result of that, any negative feelings that they may have had for themselves regarding that. They need to be able to clearly define how the experience impacts how they express themselves and how they behave. And then they need to be able to identify any negative self-talk that they have in relationship to that experience. And then you have a cord, the cord that connects the chains. That's their interpretation. And that's the big part of the process that a mental health practitioner can help someone to get greater clarity on so that they are, are more informed, if you will, of how they may have distorted um, a distorted perception of that experience. Because so oftentimes in that tragic event that you described, particularly the suicide piece, right? Anytime there's suicide, people present included, what could I have said? What could I have done? How did I miss this? You there, it it becomes easy almost right. to blame oneself for I should have known, I should have seen, I should have done. And you need someone that's neutral, that has the the professional skill set to be able to guide you through that process in helping you to be able to navigate with greater clarity. So I just wanted to add that because that, that process is such a critical part of people's healing trajectory. And, and, it's, and it's so impactful in, in how they think, feel, function and navigate life moving forward. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. And, and to and piggyback off of that, you know, also too, Tyrell, you know, also talking about how you were able to still find ways, find healthy ways to manage your time and, and find things to keep your time preoccupied. Because one of the things that I kind of struggled with was, you know, how did I keep an idle mind preoccupied when, you know, when I had my meniscus repaired, you can't walk for six weeks at a time, you know, so you just sitting in a room, you know, by yourself all day and 
I think a lot of times as men, when we finally get that downtime and out of time, it's almost like all those thoughts that we put off to the side because we're trying to be present in the moment, present on the practice field, present in the weight room, present in the film room, or present in the classroom or study hall. We finally get that chance to go back to our dorm room or our house or whatever and really sit by ourselves and all those emotions just flood us. And sometimes athletes choose substances to block that out. They might choose, you know, uh, sexual acts to block that out. They might choose, you know, going to, you know, um, go spend money, whatever the case, be, you know, choosing a whole bunch of alternatives to handle those emotions. And so for you to highlight some of the positive things that you tried to do and find time to invest in, man, that's, that's really, that speaks volumes and, and really powerful. Um, and so as you transition, man, as you come into TCU and everything, um, my next question is, you know, um, the championship run you all had last year, um, awesome, phenomenal. As a fan of college football, I'll be honest with you, did not see you all coming. I, I think I can speak, I can I can speak safely for a lot of America that nobody really saw TCU coming. So kind of just like give us an overview from your perspective of what that championship run was like. You know, at what point, you know, did you all know that like, oh, this is like this legit, like we really like, we got this. And then, you know, just kind of like walking through that entire process all the way from, you know, June through January. Going from June, um, we knew that we could have a, a really good team. It was just, we just got to put it all together. And that was just the main thing is just being disciplined and detailed, uh, determined, and then dignified as far as like our athletes, just make sure they treat everybody right. And then doing your job, you do those five things, like everything's perfect for you. Yeah, everything will fall into place, right. better words there. Um, everything will fall into place to where you'll win those games, those close games that you need to, because if you're, if you're doing the things that you need to, as far as nutrition, um, hydrating, making sure that, that you are ready to go uh, before a game, whether it be in practice, everything that you're doing is to 110%. Um, you'll win those close games, those, those close overtime games. So, I mean, we, we kind of had the schedule laid out for us and just, where all right, we kind of hit everything in phases and just making sure, okay, this is what we need to be aware of during these three to four games. This is what we probably need to be aware of, everything like that. Um, and then the biggest thing is sports psychology for our athletes and showing them and giving them the confidence that they should be here, they should be ready to play. Um, and this is your game, take it over. Like win it, every, every game that you play, you're going to win. Um, and you just have to create that environment and make sure that your athletes have that mindset to be like, this is the game that we're going to win. Um, and that's the whole bar is about that. Like you're ready to go. So um, starting the season off in Colorado, I mean, th that was pretty big. It's definitely different. I would say Colorado Stadium is probably one of the beautiful places that I've probably been. And it was really nice, uh, just the aesthetics of everything environment wise. Um, and then just playing that game, like you get your your starter, he gets hurt. Um, and you bring in Max Duggan, which Max is the most one of the most competitive people that I've probably been around. And like you just see him just play football. He is a baller, like hands down. He's a baller. And so he came in there, took over after Chandler got hurt. And we just kind of rocked and rolled from there. And then you you kind of have your like milestone games or games that you kind of like look at it was like, okay, this is gonna be a test. And I mean, I would say that first test for sure, I would say would be Oklahoma State. Um or Oklahoma, I'm sorry. Oklahoma was the first test. And then so we kind of see 
how that game goes and we we saw how it went we were like, okay we got a we got a pretty good chance of being good so then we kind of went through like our gauntlet of I think it was like three or four games straight that was like pretty seemed like pretty tough games or pretty tough environments um get to Oklahoma State game going to overtime win that one and kind of see how things are going with that and then you bring that second half comeback and then everything and then the guys like you could kind of tell that that their confidence was definitely going well okay we, we can like really do this and then it kind of just trickled and so going throughout the whole year you you get the Baylor kick like the the kick to win the game at, at kick to win at the end of the game um that was that was special and then <laughs> that was that was probably a, a good exciting time during there and then you get to the big 12 championship and then it things didn't go the way that we wanted it to um and i mean it, it happens like that sometimes you you have like a slip but that's also going back to being detailed and disciplined are you doing everything to do your job um and we we didn't hold up our bargain on that one and and we we fixed that going into the fiesta bowl and so that was good and then once you get to the national championship, that's like a time where, where we kind of had to reflect a little bit and be like, okay, th this is where we have to be in order to truly compete at this level consistently. And then that's the biggest thing that we want to do. We want to compete consistently with those teams that you see every year in the national championship, whether it's the Georgians or the Alabamas. Um, and I would say Georgia is probably the pinnacle of college football right now where everybody wants to be. And so you, you see that, you actually play them, you you see them up in close in person and how they handle their business. It's like, okay, we got to come back to the drawing board and we have to be even more disciplined and detailed than we were before. And you have to have the championship expectations um, and really realize, hey, we should be in this moment every single year. And so just the whole year together, like coming into now, like it, it was a blessing, like it was, it was a surprise for everybody else. For us in the building, we don't think that it was a surprise. Like we expected to be where we were. Um, right. Did we expect it to happen so fast? I, I don't necessarily think you think to make the national championship in your first year uh, as a as a program and staff. Um, but that goes into the test of the guys that we had in the building. They are probably right. some of the most competitive guys and hardworking blue collar guys that I've probably been around. And right. that, that attests to the staff that was here previously before us and how they set their mindset. And it's just about work. It's like, we're about to get this work done and let's get it done to the best of our ability. I did have one question and you touched beautifully about like just throughout the entire season, reinforcing and reaffirming to the athletes that look like don't let this surprise you like you all are D1 athletes, you all are power five football players like none of this should shock you like this is exactly what you wish for when you were a teenager when you were in Pop Warner and AAU travel ball. This moment right here is exactly what you wish for work for pray for and all that. And that's phenomenal and beautiful that you all did that all season. From a coach's standpoint and from a coaching staff, how did you all as coaches, you know, just manage mentally, you know, also just going through the season and once it became evident, like, okay, yeah, like we're undefeated, we're here in the Big 12 championship and then, you know, going through that setback and then getting into the playoffs, like as coaches and a human performance staff, like how was that, um, that adjustment and that, you know, first year success, how did you all handle that mentally and, and stay balanced through all of that? Um, it was just with a lot of open communication 
like we sit in one office and so like we get to bounce ideas off of each other all day every day um we we interact with each other intentionally like nothing mm-hmm. that we do is random because we we don't want to do anything random because that that gets your athletes and yourself kind of jammed up a little bit you're right. like why are they feeling some type of soreness tightness in, in their lower back or something like that it's like well because we did something random that we probably shouldn't have done on the template um and so the biggest thing for us is like adjusting um adjusting and adapting to the environment that we are in and then also helping our athletes adjust and adapt as well so just mentally it's just learning how to adjust and we feel like our biggest quality as a staff is being able to adjust on the fly because with coach Kaz, like anything can kind of change and like what he sees and what will help the athletes with football, that that's his main focus. Like, what do, what do we need to do to help these guys play football better in terms of just being better athletes, being able to move in space? Um, and then you have to make sure that your culture over precedes science in terms of like your culture is the biggest thing for right. the guys and making sure that they're doing everything that they need to do and they're doing it correctly. Tell the guys one time what to do. It was like they get it done. And so that's that's the biggest thing for us is like you, when you have a guy like Coach Kaz, like you kind of have to bring your your lunch, lunch pail, everything ready to go every single day. And you have to be on point because um, it's an elite level that you have to communicate to these athletes because in all essence, they all expect to go to the league. So you have right. to communicate to them as if they are already in the league and like to where both men hey let's talk let's talk it out this is what i need you to do do this that get it done quick no questions asked and like they're they're good about that and so just mentally we just got to make sure that we're we're all on the same page and then just making sure that we're communicating at a high level and doing our jobs how we need to so oh go ahead dr bits as it relates to that um that communication piece and sort of reflecting upon your own journey. You know, athletes are human beings, so they might not be necessarily experiencing in real time something as traumatic as you experience. But like you said in the beginning, right, family stuff. It's gonna keep happening. It's gonna be present. So how do you all, when you're having those those times of communication, man to man, what if any strategy do you all have in place to address that systemic piece that could be adversely influencing how the athlete is performing. Because you know, like I think about the get your head in the game. I think about how many times I, I have heard that throughout the course of my life's journey as you know my connection to sports in, in all the sports. Get your head in the game, get your head in the game. Okay, well, how is it, what is the communication piece behind the scene that's addressing whatever it is that may be impacting whether or not the athlete's head is in the game? Um, sports psychology, really. Uh, that, that That's the biggest thing that we do for our athletes, and Coach Kaz is, is a big advocate of that. Um, and we we teach everything on the front end. Like, so we, we teach the guys how to act like you have your learned helplessness, learned effectiveness. Like you learn how to be helpless in terms of like, oh, I, I don't know how to do this or I, I can't do this because I don't know how or I just don't mm-hmm. want to learn how to do it. Um, and you have to teach your athletes how to 
learn effectively. So it's just like when once they learn effectively and you teach them the steps to take, then they'll continuously be on their craft in, in terms of like when they come into the door, they'll make sure that they get themselves tempered, rolled out, uh, get their foot um, muscles loosened up, everything like that to be able to be able to do field work. And then they'll do everything they need to before we get into the weight room or something like that, whether it's eating nutritionally, um, making sure that they have their water bottles with them and, and just making sure that they're on the details. And that's how you teach somebody to learn effectively and, and be effective at what they're trying to do. Um, and so once you get into the game, like it's not really anything that you can tell the guys necessarily when, when they're at that point, because that's when they're on stage and like, there's a lot of bells and whistles and things going on and like they're not necessarily going to hear you and it's not even that they don't want to hear you it's like they're just so probably locked into the game and they just they will only hear certain things and so we'll go over a number of different I would say um, calls that we have on the strength staff that the guys will draw back to and that they'll be like, okay, lock in, lock back in. All right, let's go. Okay, All right. We're good. All right. And then just just some some cues just to calm them down for the most part. And I think that's I think that's a beautiful uh thing to do. And one in one way I would uh describe what you just talked about is kind of like helping the athletes when they come in, unlearn and relearn maybe unhealthy coping skills and learning new healthy coping skills. And one of the things I always, you know, talk to young student athletes about, especially teenage student athletes as they get ready to transition into college. Um, just from a life perspective, you know, from birth to 17, we rely so heavily, you know, the, the, the helplessness that we talked about, that learned helplessness of relying on our parents or caregivers or our guardians from that time period of, you know, being able to supply us the physical and emotional needs and safety and security that we all need as humans. Um, but not everybody gets that. And when you turn 18, by law, you're an adult, but doesn't mean by mental maturity or physical maturity, any of that stretches, it makes you an adult. And one of the things I like that you described is like being able to equip those <clears throat> new adults, young men and things like that with the tools and resources necessary to help them solve life themselves. And I think that's one of the things that me and Dr. Pitts do a really good job as well as, you know, when we work for our clientele is helping them understand that you are the answer that you are so help, so looking to seek for in help in therapy. I actually just had this conversation with somebody yesterday where, you know, they were getting flustered with the therapeutic process of like, you know, keep looking for answers. I keep looking for answers. And I'm like, you have the answer. The answer is you. You know, as a therapist, it's not my job to fix your life or give you answers to your life. My job is to give you hope and a perspective that you can take to find the answer within you to change your life. And a lot of times when we have athletes coming into school, a lot of times coaches might not understand the full background of the full story of where they come from, because even on both sides, and you know this well, being a student, a former student athlete, on the recruiting end, as an athlete, you're putting on your best foot forward. And as a coach, you're putting your best foot forward. It is not until you all get in there, sign that national letter of intent, and really get in the program, get in the locker room, and, and get into those meeting rooms that you really start to form that bond. And like you said, being, on, being able to identify some of those triggers or some of those characteristics and behaviors early in the athlete, their freshman year and things like that, can, you know, 
be the difference between having a third year or fourth year junior or senior who it can be a team leader, can be that vocal leader and that mentor for the younger players coming in. That's extremely important. And I'm glad you mentioned it. And I'm glad to hear that schools are now starting to take that more seriously. Because Dr. Dr. Pitt's point, a lot of times, you know, depending on somebody's personal story, we don't know what's going on in their head during the game, you know, and to your point, yeah, get your head in the game. Where are you at? Are you here? To your point, by the time you get to the game, you're trying to really, you know, redirect them and correct them. <clears throat> game is all about muscle memory, you know, during the week in practice and preparation, you know, you're really starting to hash out those things. So by the time you get to the game, muscle memory kicks in because you don't have time to think out there on the field. If you're thinking you're behind and by that time you're either missing a tackle, missing a block, missing a throw or a read. And that can be the difference between a game, you know, win and a loss. So I think that's really important. I'm glad to hear that schools are starting to do that. Um, one of the things I really want to ask you about and is probably my most interesting question that I have. Um, it's going to be a long setup, not a long setup, but um, so you talked about kind of earlier about, you know, you all's expectations going into the season. And, you know, like you said, as a first year staff, head coaching, you know, entire coaching staff and performance staff. Yeah. Would national championship be everybody's ideal goal? Absolutely. Theoretically, you know, that's in team sports. Winning it all is the goal. But realistically, you know, like first year. Let's have a winning record. Let's win the conference. Like, you know, first, like realistic goals. And then, boom, you overexceed that. Right. And so we had this uh, conversation last week about, you know, when Giannis talked about what it really means to be success and failure. Um, and we had that debate and I wanted to, you know, kind of ask you in framing this question. So you all made it to national championship game. Things didn't go your way. Right. And one of the things we had kind of talked about in our meeting back in March, when we uh, first got the chance to meet with you was just that turnaround period. You know, we talked about earlier, you know, in D2 football, more times than not, unless your team makes it to the national championship in D2, you're done before Thanksgiving for the most part. And then you have from Thanksgiving to mid-January when you come back for winter workouts and you're good to go. But at you all's level, at the Power 5 level, the D1 level, and for you all to have the opportunity to make the national championship, you all, I think the game was, what, January 9th, 11th, something like that. And then how long did you say? I think, what, five days, seven days, y'all turned right back around to start winter workouts? Like, that entire process just is mind-blowing as an athlete. But also, too, how did you all as a coaching staff in a, in a week's time, basically, process what just happened in the national championship game, but also have the balance and time to turn around, process that, make sense of it, and then help the players start to process and make sense of that, all while having to turn to the next chapter of getting ready for this upcoming season. What was that process like? It was fast, I'll tell you that. Uh, that, that was the biggest thing. Um, because no one on the staff had really experienced being that deep into, I would say, the college football playoffs or getting to the national championship. And so, like, it was a new experience for everybody. Mm -hmm. So we just all had to, like, like we talked about, communication is key. Um, we had to communicate, like, one, how we felt about the national championship game, and then, like, where, what did we need to work on to get better for this next year or even just the winter? Um, and then how can we help the players get better? Cause the biggest thing was like more so staff first is like, okay, how do you feel? Like, what, what can we work on to be better? Like, what do we need to work on in order to help our guys? And then what do the players need right now kind of thing. So the biggest thing was like making sure that they were healthy and getting through everything that they needed to not put too much on their plate once they first got there. And then also you got to integrate the new transfers that are coming in and then also the new 
high school early enrollee guys. So that, that was a new dynamic as well. Um, so you, in all re retrospect of how the transfer portal and everything is now, like you're going to have a totally new team probably each semester, if you truly think about it for, for the most part, because you're always going to have some new people coming in, whether it be right. coming in through winter or coming in through summer uh, or even the fall. So you, you just have to really think, hey, I'm going to have a new team. So we need to go back to the basics and hammer out the details and just be fundamental with what we're doing, making sure that the athletes are moving well, make sure that they're prepared to do the things that you're asking them to do. And then also just making sure that they're good on their nutrition and uh, hydration. That, that Those are the biggest things that we kind of had to look at and be like, okay, where, where do we need to help influence these guys a little bit more? And it was more so probably the nutrition, getting back to nutrition, Mm -hmm. um, as much as we possibly could, talking that over as much as we could. And then also the sports psychology of things, like just making sure that they're seeing other people train or other superstar athletes do the things that they are great at and how mm -hmm. are they doing it? Because everybody loves to see the actual games on Saturdays or right. have an opinion on what happened in the national championship game, but you don't see what leads right. up to that. You don't see the preparation process of that and that's the biggest fathom. thing yep they, they can't fathom it it's like oh you guys do all this and everything like that and it's like yeah we have to do all of this to prepare for 15 moments in time so it's also like delayed gratification it's like do you really want to win he's like you say this but we have to do this on the front end and we don't get to see any of this pay off till next year or january maybe december if, if you even make it that far and even before then then it's just from September to November. And it was like, all right, everything that you did before September, this is when it shows. And it's going to show every Saturday. So it's like, how do you get them back to that? And it's just more so just the details of everything that we do. As the as the movement specialist for the football team, what were some of the takeaways that you had from, you know, what worked for you as the movement specialist last year? And what were some of the takeaways you had from how the season ended? And what are some of, what have been some of your personal goals um, to try and help the team and try and contribute to, you know, building on the success you all had last year? Um, the biggest thing that I saw um, coming in last year was like just more so ankle mobility and just movement guys being removed like whether it be tight low backs or they're just stiff and it's like just getting them to move better was my or our as a staff our biggest um challenge i would say is mm -hmm. just getting them to move better is like how do we get them to move better because coming into the process we thought we were engineers and going to revamp this whole new way of training and doing things that we needed to but as we got to the guys was like okay like they're good we just need to be mechanics and just tune them up a little bit just fix little things here and there and just do the things that we can with them um and just get them to train because it's like just the consistency of training they weren't necessarily used to so it's like all right bet so this is where we figure out okay these guys do love to train but it's like we have to just show them properly how to do things and then so that they can teach their other teammates while they're on the platforms and everything like that so then that gives us another coaching eye um and so it's just being more efficient with being able to guide the athletes through what they need to do and the different types of exercises that they have and then also making sure that they know what to look at 
for their teammates in order to keep them safe and healthy and available. Those are the biggest things that we wanted to do is keep guys available and healthy. And I think I would say numbers wise, it definitely showed that with mm -hmm. the number of athletes that we need to be healthy and that that's just going over with our staff and being open and communicating about everything that we're doing um, and just professional about it. And so the things coming into this year are similar, um, just advance it a little bit more, not keep it so basic or elementary uh, as Coach Kyle likes to call it. He, he hates when we do our pre-prep because it's things that we do that's slow, long lasting and everything, but he's like, he just wants to hurry up and go. and and. It's like, hey, coach, we, we need to do this like so that the guys are healthy and available for once the season comes around or even in spring ball when we had that, um, just make sure that the guys are moving proficiently on what they need to do. Can I ask a question um, about the healthy and available, but at the high school level? You know, yes, Ronnie, and, and I think actually you may have touched on a little bit when we met with you privately back in March. Um, when you look at the the league, and and we know that that we dominate the league, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of our high school athletes are coming from socioeconomically depressed areas, which means that the schools that they're coming from have very very limited resources, and I believe it was last week or the week before Ronnie mentioned how at the high school level. You've got all these different people doing your strength and conditioning that don't yeah. have formal <laughs> education and yeah. training. My O-line coach right? who was the, uh, the second in charge for the SWAT team in Chesterfield was our strength <laughs> and conditioning coach. Yeah, so, so bearing that in mind, you know, the, these high school athletes, they have no control over that. But what would your recommendation be to them to sort of help them combat the fact that they don't have the, in some instances, they don't necessarily have the appropriate staff support that they need for their strength and conditioning? What would be your recommendation to them so that they could do a, a better job of, of managing themselves because they don't necessarily have the appropriate support at the state level in high school. The biggest thing to try to combat that, and I know coming from financially challenged like areas, like it, it's hard to do this, but the biggest thing is nutrition. Um, it, like whatever you can get into your body to allow yourself to have the energy um, to be able to train, to be able to hold up throughout practices, making sure that you're snacking at those practices or training sessions and different things like that. It doesn't have to be anything too big. It could be like a small peanut butter jelly sandwich or some butter sandwich for, for those who are allergic to peanuts like me. I, I use a lot of some butter. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't realize that there was some butter out there for those who are allergic to peanut butter until, shoot, maybe like three years ago, if anything. So It's like crazy how many people are allergic to peanut butter now or just oh, peanuts yeah. in general. Oh yeah, for sure. Like it, it's it's outrageous, and so everybody's like, "Oh, you're missing out." I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm good. I, I like my life." <laughs> um, but uh, with with that, I, I would say the biggest thing to help them out is nutrition. Whether or not they can like kind of drink a gallon of milk or something like that, like throughout a couple of days or something like that, then that'll kind of um, help you for the most part um, and get you going. 
Um, and then just making sure that they're smart with communicating um, on kind of what's going on with them. If something's hurting, make sure that they communicate that to right. their coaches, their sport coaches, and then also the strength and conditioning coach who is that. Um, and just making sure that they can do everything that that keeps them healthy. Um, communication is the biggest thing that that will help them because they communicate like, hey, coach, like this is tight or like I haven't eaten today. Well, OK, let's go get you some food or get you a snack or something like that. And I, I know a ton of high school coaches that help out with that or middle school coaches that help out with that because I, I had those in my life and different things like that because I communicated with them. They kind of helped me out a little bit. Um, I know we have a few minutes left, Tyrell, and I hope you can maybe give us maybe five or 10 minutes over. I did have I did have a couple more questions I wanted to ask you, and, I, and I'll try to go through them as quickly as possible. Um, my first, uh, well, my next question is, is in regards to the transfer portal, and you talked about how with the transfer portal and all the things that have been, you know, going on with it, it kind of seems like you all have almost have like a uh, assemble a new roster or, you know, the roster kind of has a huge overhaul each season outside of just graduation um, and uh, just regular transfers. As a former athlete and now as somebody on a, um, you know, at a power five school where, you know, the transfer portal really, you know, can impact, you know, the, the uh, shape of the roster and the culture of the roster. What are your thoughts on the transfer portal as a former athlete and um, do you think it overall will be a good thing or a bad thing moving forward for student athletes? I think it depends on the person because to, to go on the, the portion of the athletes who think that they can just transfer from school to school and possibly get a different outcome. I don't think that's best for them in, right. in my personal opinion. <clears throat> um, but for the athletes that are truly genuine about them getting into the transfer portal, wanting to see some type of change, like whether or not that environment that they're at at that school is conducive to them getting better, then they're like, okay, I need to hop into this portal because I'm not going to get better as, as maybe an athlete or even as a human being um, here, or it's, it's just not the right fit. Right. And, and a lot of the times it's it's fit for, for some of the people. Okay, I don't fit here. Let, let's go somewhere else and like see where I'm wanted one because everybody wants to be wanted. Like not right. like you'll go to a school just because of a logo or something like that. And then like once you get there, like, oh, you guys either one didn't really want me or you don't want me now or like I just don't feel. I just don't feel wanted here necessarily, mm -hmm. whether it's it's my coaches or teammates or just playing time, anything like that. So for those who are very genuine about it, it'll work out for them. And then also I would say like, wherever you are, if you're trying to still go to the league or something like that, they will find you. Like that, that's like the biggest thing with that because me being at a smaller school, yourself being at a smaller school, like we, we know, we know people who have gone to the league from where we've been in or even lower lower levels so it's just like if you're good and, and you're that guy that you think that you are you'll be found like you'll put up the tape you'll you'll do the numbers you'll do everything that you need to in order for that to happen now injuries play a role in that which in my case in your case like that happens right life happens but then that just means that god has another plan for you and like you can impact the world in a totally different way 
and it's not always our plan that will work out ever like that it's it's never our plan it, it's always right. god's plan and like you just have to follow kind of what he has in place for you might not be what you want but hey it works out like Very for, for me it, it wasn't necessarily that i made it to the league because I, I hadn't and so right. i was like dang like my, my dreams are over it's like no it's not i have other dreams that i can go into that can put me into that space and I mean, being here as a strength and conditioning coach or human performance coach, like football has always been my potato and I'm a potato farmer. Like I, I use this from, from Coach Cobbs because like he says this and it's like from football, I created a number of different outlets that I could do. Started right. Exercise Science Club because I was very interested in staying around sports or just the intricacies of helping others find ways to find a career out of having an exercise physiology exercise physiology degree I got into that space because of football it paid for my education and then going into the other sports or the other career paths that I've had whether it's being an assistant at Washburn a GA at Troy and then an assistant at Middle Tennessee and then now here it's all been because of football because of my experience with playing football and then also just being around football um and so you can create a totally, you can create so many mixed combinations from one thing. And my potato has been football. So I've created different outlets for myself to be able to pay my bills one, one way or be able to help people in my family pay their bills or something like that. And like, you can create so many different things from one thing. And so just long story extravagant off of your transfer portal question like there's just a lot of different things in ways that you can go from being at a school and then going to another school and it can just kind of help you out that way thank you for the answer man um how do you feel that nil has um influenced um especially at uh, the level of power five football uh i know for me uh, <laughs> if i was playing football and we had nil <laughs> Oh, I have listed off like five places locally that I know for what it ain't even necessarily just the dollar amount, just to know that I could have the sponsorship, you know, man, (laughs) I I would have collected a a good chunk of change in my hometown, even out of division two, if if that was the case, we had NIL for me, man. do you think is and especially at your level, and I and I wonder if this is going to start to be the trend because we start to see this trend in maybe other sports like, uh, for example, uh, women's college basketball, where we know unfortunately women's sports don't get compensated nearly as much as men's sports. Um, however, for women's college sports, we see um, like uh, Angel Reese at LSU and several other you know prominent um, bas- women basketball players. They're staying in college. Well, I mean, they kind of have to stay in college four years anyways, but they're in no rush to leave because for a lot of them, the more money they, they'll make more money in college than they'll probably make in their entire, you know, professional basketball career. Do you think that will also be the same for maybe college football, especially at the power five level where you might have a uh, third year junior who might want to test the waters or you know, they're being told they should go test the waters, but you know, like, well, if I'm only going to be a third or fourth round pick, I can make just this much right here playing another year of college football, get better, get more experience where I know I'm going to be on the team and then go try my hand at the draft. What are your thoughts on NIL? And do you see any possible positive or negative influence of NIL? 
you can always see a positive and negative in anything that you do, but I, I think it's positive more so because like the athletes will be more willing to stay in college a little bit longer because it's like I'm already in paid, yo. So like if I'm only going to be a third, fourth round or seventh round pick or undrafted, I can make more bread here. And right. it's just like I and I can make more money here. And then also I can just be around the people that I want to be around. It's like if I'm enjoying my time in college, why rush that? Right. Like it's just like this is the only time that I'm going to technically be a kid slash adult. It's it's not either kid or adult. Like I can be a kid and an adult at the same time to a certain extent. So you get to live your college experience out with a little bit of change in your pocket and then be able to kind of create your brand and then expand your brand at the university. Once you get to the professional level, like, yes, you do have a brand and you, you'll be able to expand it a little bit more, but like you kind of did that on your own in college. And then right, so right. once you get that platform of being in the league or whether it be NFL, NBA or uh, WNBA or baseball, any type of sport, professional sport, then like your brand is already built and it just expands and gets better. Like that your name is just that much more um, pronounced. Uh, so I think it may be very positive just, just because like you're already making money. It's like, why rush something? And right. it's like, you have a lot of people just rushing out and then trying to get to the league already. And then they don't have their degree. They don't have a fallback plan. It's like, okay, right. like I'm already working on this fallback plan, whether I'm an artist and making money and, and um, putting my creations of art in galleries and different things like that. Um, it's just like a plethora of different avenues that you can make streams of income from. Hell yeah, man. Thank you for that. I got two questions, I promise. And then I'm, I'm out good. of questions, I promise. We're good. Um, so my next and last question is, and so me and you, uh, I think you're a year older than me. So um, you, I think you'll feel me on this. I think it's safe to say that we both kind of, when we graduated high school and got into college sports and everything, we kind of grew up with what we know as social media now. Like when I was in high school, it was still MySpace to kind of start to fade out. Facebook had became more relevant to the public, but Twitter and Instagram were right, like boom, boom in 2011 and 2012. And so, but we were already in college, going to college. So we kind of grew up with it. How have you seen the athlete change over the last decade with the influence of social media? And what are some of the things you see now with today's uh, student athletes in college and how social media has impacted them? Um, just since you were a student athlete. I know I never got into the swing of the whole MySpace thing. Like I, I seen it, my 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 cousins and family members <laughs> use MySpace. I never got on MySpace. Uh, you didn't but, have a top uh, eight, man. No. You avoided, you avoided <laughs> no. a lot of arguments, man. Oh yeah, I, I definitely did. <laughs> For sure. Um, but uh, just just how social media is now compared to back then, it's just like, it's a world of difference, like truthfully. And, and like just saying like 10 years, five years within time, like being in 2010, like, yeah, you're on social media, but it was Facebook for the most part. Then Instagram came around, what, 2011? In the 2011. Something like that. Yeah, yeah 2011. And then like, it, it was just like slow. It's like, how do you grow like your brand from there? And it's like, nobody's thinking about a brand. 
Right. But like now everybody thinks about a brand. How can I get this money? One. And then how can I create this brand to be able to get all these social media likes, the followers, everything like that. And it's just like a lot of people are more in tune to that. But like you see the reasoning why it's like I have to build this brand for myself to be able to promote myself so that I can have more opportunities out in life. Because if you don't have the social media out there now, like back in, let's say, 2010, when you just have pretty much Facebook, really mm-hmm. Facebook and oh i forgot the app that is literally similar to tiktok but it was like a shorter version vine vine yep yep yep, vine Vine. i I made one vine in my whole life (laughs) (laughs) and i was like yeah no uh, i can't i can't do this uh but like you you see how um no one necessarily really cared about their brand in terms of social media to an extent Mm -hmm. but you see soldier boy back in the day how he got hip and wild is from youtube like everybody right. wants to do youtube right and everything yeah. so just like now you have so many different areas to be able to go viral to to expand your brand and just just to be that person um whether it's your real authentic self or the fake character that you've kind of created for yourself but you can you can definitely do a lot more with that and so i, I feel like um athletes and i guess kids like when i say kids i, I push my age up a little bit there you now. Unk, you but, unk now you're not a big bro no more to him you unk now we at unk stage yeah yeah there, exactly now. it's like everybody calls me the uncle because i'm like man i'm not like that yet yo uh <laughs> but uh but they just have more ways to promote themselves and, and i think that it can be good it can also be bad but i think for the most part it, it is a good thing that that people can push themselves to become even better because they're they're putting themselves in situations that without these apps or social media platforms, like how can you do that? You got to do it by word of mouth or you got to go uh, from business to business or house to house and just mm-hmm. sell your product that you're doing. Right. This is just an easier way for everyone to be able to sell their product at a more broad spectrum um, kind of platform. Is it a headache? My follow up question to the social media. Is it a headache um, policing or having to um, maybe be worried about some student athletes, you know, because football teams, especially at that level, have anywhere from what, 90 to about 120 on the roster, just give or take. Is it a headache at times policing that many student athletes, especially when you talk about social media? Because back then, you when we were in, in college, you just had either Facebook and maybe just Instagram, but Instagram really wasn't even nowhere near what it is today. Um, so you didn't have to be in back then. Nobody cared what we said on social media. Like I know for a fact, I had to go clean up my Twitter from 10 years ago when I've really started to become, you know, public and everything, because I was like, I know when I was 18, 19, I was saying things on there that 28, 29, 30 year old Ronnie will be yeah. like, yeah, bro, you, you wilding now. Like, so oh, yeah, um, yeah. is it is it a headache at times policing, you know, the young, the young kids and everything when it comes to that? Um. I don't necessarily think it's a headache because if you just educate the athletes beforehand, like, hey, just be aware of what Mm -hmm. you're putting on to your social media because it can affect your NIL deals. It can affect something that the perception that somebody has of you. Like, you always want everyone to have a good perspective of 
the person that you are and making sure that that first impression that you make on somebody is a great one. Um, and you, you don't ever want to make a bad first impression. So with that, you just have to educate the athletes on what they're doing, um, what they're putting up, what they're posting, making sure that it's appropriate for um, others to see or like, hey, if, if you're that guy and you, you want just want to post it up, so okay, that's your business because that's going to affect you. Yeah, it might affect some other people in, in that are connected to you, but like that's going to truly affect you. And then like you can kind of see who will branch on to you and like who will kind of separate themselves from that person that that is just posting out wild stuff. And so like for me, like my mother's like she she was always on me. Even when I first got Facebook, she's like, don't be posting up anything that that you don't want me to see or that I have to sit there say something for you or defend you about, like just making sure that you're smart about what you're posting. And so for me, like that, that was easy. It's like, oh, I don't want to let my mom's down. So like, I just got to be able to do the things that I do in, in a proper fashion and most professional fashion that that she would approve of. You know, like there might be some things that like I post that like she might not approve of. And like, oh, you shouldn't be saying this, but it's like, hey, this is why I did it. Um, I have a purpose on why I'm I'm doing this and and this is what it represents. And she's like, okay, once she gets my point of view of it, and they're like, okay, I understand why you did it. Still don't like it, but but I understand it. And like not everybody's gonna like what you post. So it's like right. more so what what do you feel is your more authentic self and like what you can feel as though is professional or real. Right. And and thank you for that answer, man. And my final question, promise Dr. Pitts, my final question. No, we, we um, can do this all day if we want to. We're good. <laughs> Shit. Man. So having, you know, been at the, you know, the national championship level of power five at the pinnacle of college football, also being a part of a FCF program and also D2 program. What are what are your not your personal, but what are three things that a high school athlete can do to separate themselves to be attractive? attractable for D1 programs or even, you know, D2 or FCF programs that you have, that you have seen and collected over your years of being a strength and conditioning coach? Um, the biggest thing I would say is, is just making sure that you, you stay authentic to yourself um, is the biggest thing. And then always try to learn, try to learn something new every single day um and and then just grow and then also network network and make your connections because it's never about who you personally know that that can like get you a job or get you to the um to the stage that you want to get to it's about who knows you um retrospectively or who knows of you um because who know knows of you kind of spreads by word of mouth because somebody will always ask you like hey who, who do you think that i i should like recruit or pick up um, that is like a smaller, at a smaller school or a bigger school or like, who do you, who do you think needs that chance? And then like, who knows of you, they'll talk, they'll communicate like always. And like, I've, I've always been very aware and observant of that because like coming from my, I mean, I would say it's a small town in Topeka, Kansas, like most people knew of you kind of thing that that meant that you were kind of a dude. Like if, if majority of the people in the town knew of you, then Hey, they know that you're a great athlete or a great student or a great human being. And then they'll spread that word of mouth and be like, hey, this guy, he, he's legit. Um, you should take him if, if you need somebody on your roster or if you need somebody on your staff, like, hey, talk to him, communicate with him, everything like that. And those are the few biggest things that I, I think will 
will take someone in life a long way, not just sports or um, academics, but just life. Thank you for that, man. Tyrell, it has been a pleasure. Dr. Pitts, do you have any any questions, any any final thoughts that you want to add before we close out? Yeah, when the season schedule come out so I can get my tickets. <laughs> oh, it's out now. It's, it's out okay. now. Uh, first game's Colorado. I forget the exact date. Um, okay. I can't can't get no tickets. I, I'll say that now. Broad day I want to ask you I for no tickets. I can't, I like I can't get no tickets for that one. That that one, I have everybody and, and their mama asking I'll, for is that. Is it, is it at TCU or at Colorado? Yeah, it's, it's at TCU. It's at TCU. We oh, played at Colorado oh, yeah, last year, yeah. so it's at TCU. And, like, yeah. it's it's crazy. Uh, I would say the prices for those tickets are crazy. I would imagine. I'll be there. I'm a, I don't know if I'm coming to the Colorado game, but I'm definitely going to make as many home games as I can this season. Um you know, I tell folks all y'all got a, if y'all got a ticket for me from Virginia, man, you know, I'll shoot, you know. We can try to figure something out for you. I got you. Yeah, we're 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 definitely going to um we're gonna make as many home games as we possibly can. I'm not I'm not one of those people, I'm not asking for tickets, but I, I definitely no, that's serious. I, I don't, I tell you I don't but but I'm but I'm gonna be there because I um I just have such a tremendous um love and respect for what you all are doing just making connection with you over these months and really being able to talk to you behind the scenes. It's been a blessing. It yes, is truly it been a blessing yes. and, and such a tremendous encouragement. You know, we, we share similar passions. You were gracious enough to introduce us to the other parts of your coaching staff. And that that's, that's not something that, that I take for granted. Um, it, it's humbling. And it's, it was just, it was a blessing to be able to, yes. to meet you guys and, and to chop it up with you. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you publicly. Wanted to thank you for that. Um, you're awesome. You're awesome. Yeah. You are my winning Goliath, Tyrell. <laughs> my winning Goliath. I appreciate um, you guys. So yeah, man, it, so it's, it's been a phenomenal you. show, man. And, and thank yeah. you for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Good luck to you all this season, man. Mm -hmm. um, hope everybody gets through summer workouts uh, healthy and safe. And looking forward to, you know, building on the success you all had last year, man, and continuing to, you know, keep that tradition going, man. Um, so yeah. once again, uh, Tyrell, thank you again. Shout out to you. And, and anytime you want to come back, man, if we can, if we can get a mid-season update or a beginning of the yeah, season update it. from you, man, we'd love to have you back on the show and everything. You family for life on this show. So thank yeah. you again, man. Um, and that's it for House Talk episode 123, y'all. Make sure y'all catch us back here next Saturday, same time, same place. Check us out on YouTube. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh, anywhere you enjoy podcasts at, check us out. Um, Tyra, how can people get in contact with you, man? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, email wise, I, I, I'll, I'll say this first because I, I, I do not, I'm not great at emailing back sometimes. So, so email is tyro.brown10 at tcu.edu. And then social media wise, it's tyrellbrown underscore 10. And that's my Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you guys can get in contact with me anytime that way because I'm a little, probably a little bit better about social media contacts and, and messages sometimes, most of the time when I see them. Um, and shoot, those are just the biggest ways to get in contact with me. Yeah. Yes, sir. Man, well, Ronnie, well, I just want to say this oh, for real quick. Um, go ahead. Before you close us out and we say our final thank yous. So um, just wanted to make folks aware, as I mentioned last week, I have been getting more and more and more and more and more invitations um, to, to come on podcasts as a guest and really speak about mental health and relationships. So on Monday, I'm being interviewed by Kevin McNulty. He is the Grow Yourself podcast host. Yeah, man. 
I'm the Grow Yourself podcast host, and I'm super, super hyped because I literally just got a, um, an invitation yesterday. It was crazy from um, an agency in the Philadelphia area, which, you know, that's that's where I'm from, the Philadelphia ADI. Um, and it's just like a whole agency full of sports psychologists. And I'm like so humbled because they reached out to me. Yeah, man. They reached out to me and invited me to come on their podcast. So I'll make that announcement once everything is, is finalized. Um, okay. But they want me to come on and talk about mental health and relationships within an athletic context. So that was super honoring. I was telling the, the gentleman um, who contacted me because he's a graduate of the University of Delaware. I told him, remind me, I had to tell you a story about your blue hens and, and the William and Mary tribe. <laughs> and that, that game is the reason why Dr. Pitts does not talk trash. <laughs> I should not talk trash. <laughs> It, I was one and done. I'm like, you know what? Never, ever again. So just really, really, really excited about what God is doing in my life and, and the additional um, visibility and the doors that are opening that are going to be so instrumental in taking, you know, my agency, um, legacy life coaching and, and counseling, um, the legacy counseling and life coaching LLC to the next dimension, looking to open doors here in the Dallas, uh, Fort Worth Metroplex real soon. Um, so just honored, man, just honored and privileged. And on that, Ronnie, I'll let you close this out. Well, shout out to you and, and, and congratulations on both of those podcast appearances. Looking forward to hearing those. Um, Tyrell, once again, man, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you all check us back next Saturday, same time, same place. Until then, have a great weekend, y'all. Peace.